and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film is The Birds, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, starring Rod Taylor and Tippi Hedren. My name is Cameron Tuttle, and I'm joined with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, how are you doing? It has been so long. I haven't seen you in forever. I haven't talked to you in forever. But I, uh, you know, it's good to be back. It feels good. Yeah, happy new year. I know it's been it's been a while. We had a crazy holidays. Cameron and I have tried to schedule this episode a couple of times at this point. So we appreciate your patience, but we're halfway through January. Um yeah, I'm doing I'm doing good, but I I will be honest. I find that this year I'm having a hard time being inspired. That's what I'm working on right now. Mm. Cuz I feel very drab and gray. <laughs> and so <laughs> And so I think I just I had a very busy year last year and looking at this year, there's not much on the calendar for me. So I'm kind of like, okay, well, what's next, you know? And so I'm trying to I'm trying to reignite some inspiration. And it's good to be here creating with you, Cameron, of course. Um, I think, you know, you can speak to this as well, but I think movies and media and stuff can inspire uh, despite what some people say, you're melting your brand in front of the TV. I don't I don't necessarily believe that uh, all the time. So, yeah. Um, how about you, Cameron? You're, you're having a good start of the year? Yeah, honestly, yes, I have been. Um, it's been mostly pretty calm around here. Uh, work has started pick, picking back up, um, which is nice, but, uh, for the most part, I've kind of been doing some, um, some wedding stuff and, you know, whatever else. But I, I do want to tell you, I, I found the greatest thing ever, um, at Goodwill. Uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, this, I'm a Craigslist fiend. Uh, I love a good bargain. I love, I love the hunt. Uh, but I was in Goodwill the other day. Um, and I saw, um, what, you know, I guess a little background, um, me and Ken have been working a little bit on our registry, you know, it's kind of in the background of, of stuff. Um, and I had a, an espresso machine uh, that I had put on there. It was a Breville. Um, it's like Ooh. one of the nicer ones. It's, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it goes for about 800 bucks, um, you know, typically. But uh, I, I found it at Goodwill. <laughs> and, no. And, uh, and guess how much it was? <laughs> how much? It was, it was thirty nine ninety nine. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh way! Does it have the the one with the bean hopper on the top? Yeah, the one with the grinder. Wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. So it is. It is actually. It was barely used. It was like it had unbelievable. It. I think it probably made like twenty five shots. I. I bet it was some like rich person who didn't know how to use it. And I was oh, like, yeah. ah, this doesn't work, and and just gave it to Goodwill or something like. <laughs> right. And right. I, yeah. Man. So, um, I've been pretty hyped up on espresso, uh, the past couple days, honestly. Um, that I've, is awesome, I, man. <laughs> I I have been like kind of into the cortado realm because I make a lot of pour overs right now, with my Chemex, and I keep being gifted beans, which is a great problem to have. That is but great. I have so many bags to go through that I'm like. It'd be kind of cool to like make these in a different way, you know, to like get the full flavor of the different regions that they're from and all that. Um, so yeah, when I've been going out to coffee, I've been getting cortadas because I do so many pour overs, which I still prefer pour overs. Um, but yeah, I I I am very jealous. the The Breville is a is a nice system. 
Yeah. I th- see. I see. I thought you were going to talk about something you, like uh, like valueless. You know, like something really dumb. No. Um, no. <laughs> like I, I, I had this idea. I was like, I should ask Cameron. Like, do you th- do you have things in your life that are like really small and stupid, and but for some reason they just make your life like ten percent better uh, because you own them. Like I I know that's a very strange question, but I'll give you a good example. Like, I have these Japanese whiskey glasses that you put on a coaster, and, like, if you spin the glass, it, like, spins for a long time, and then the ice block inside of it spins, and you can, like, stop the glass, and the ice keeps spinning in it, <laughs> and it just makes my life so much happier. I'm like, this mm. is amazing, mm. you know? And I just want you to know, too, I'm not trying to say that as an, like, as an alcoholic. That I know that sounds a little <laughs> strange. I literally drink everything in it, like water juice whatever i just i'm obsessed with this cup that i can i'm probably have adhd i think that's the problem you know <laughs> sure but i'm like man this just this is so and i really could live without it you know but it's just one of those things that i'm like i i love it you know if i broke this glass i'd buy another one right away right you know? right right i see um well i think for me i i guess i have a handful of things like that most of them are just like functional things that that i really appreciate but I have this um, this set. This is like so dumb. It's actually right next to me. Um, I have this <laughs> set of uh, of it's like a mini screwdriver set that I end up using all the time because it has Torx. It has um, like the sec- the Torx security screws. It has like all the different flavors of screws. It's magnetic. It's uh, you know it's got a really nice <laughs> feel to it. And for some reason, I just love it. And I, I have, I like keep it by me all the time because I end up, I end up using it pretty frequently for some reason. Um, so yeah, like that's, yeah, that's yeah. one of those things where it's like, I think I probably bought that for like $15. Like it, it basically is like nothing, you know, but I, I just love it because uh, every time I need it, I'm like, ah, oh, I'm so thankful that I have this, this dumb screwdriver set. <laughs> I've been really um, kind of considering items in my life that it's like if I broke it or lost it, it's like irreplaceable, mm. you know? Um, and I'm not saying that glass was the one I was talking about. But just as you were talking about like Goodwill stuff, you're so hyped up about it. I was like, I was thinking about that because I recently um, went paintballing for a bachelor party and um it was like such a strange experience. Like we went to this, we went to, um, uh, Almaden paintball. Mm-hmm. You know where that is? Yeah, Cameron, right? of course. And, um, <laughs> I promise we're going to get to the movies. I just think this is a funny story. All right. Uh, there's, there's six of the guys there and we show up and we get like one warm up round. And then there are these guys with like full ROTC camera, <laughs> all their own masks, everything. And it is like pouring. It's been pouring in San Jose all across the Bay. Right. So it's like rainy and muddy. It's like the trenches in World War One. Okay, <laughs> these guys are like wearing all their own decked out gear, and I'm like, "Man, you guys must come here a lot." And they start deflecting, like, "No, no, 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 we don't." And as soon as they blow the whistle for the first round where they play, these guys like throw a smoke grenade. Like, we don't have any smoke. <laughs> I don't even know where they got this. <laughs> you know. And I, I'm with Caleb because Caleb's bachelor party. Caleb stands up and he's like, "What the heck?" Like he like starts like cussing and stuff at them, uh, and like basically all the bachelors that are on my team like are mad because they're like these guys are cheating, you know. <laughs> and uh, 
long story short, we were mad at them. They were trying way too hard. But we had to end up shutting down the paintball course because I lost my, my wedding ring in the mud oh. of, the, <laughs> of the paintball match. And so then we're spending like 10 minutes. All the guys are mad because they're like, these guys are cheaters. I didn't want to play anymore. Like they're all like, I don't want to play anymore. And we're all like in our hands and knees trying to find this ring. And I was like, man, like, if like I know you can get another wedding ring, but like it's like that's like my first wedding ring. I'm like that's right. like irreplaceable. If I lost that, like there's no way to like get a new one. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, that's the one and done. And yeah, I just I've been feeling that about a lot of different things. I have like my uh, I have this guitar that somebody gave me, and it's literally I just found out like he made the body of the guitar. Mm himself so it's like it's an irreplaceable like i'm like you literally cannot get this kind of guitar anywhere right you know uh and it's why it's kind of garbage but uh, it's just interesting those like irreplaceable items you know um and i feel like they're always they're always weird things i think a wedding ring makes more sense <laughs> but uh you know like this this guitar that i have that i've been working on is like horrible like it barely works and i'm like oh it's irreplaceable well did you, you know, did like you find junker. did you find the wedding ring <laughs> yes yes i did find it we did find it after a while but it was like pressed into the mud oh like it was like you know that scene in lord of the rings where he like picks up the ring you know yeah like, yeah in the mud that's exactly <laughs> what it was like i'm not even kidding you and i think i took like a 20 minute shower afterwards it was like horrendous and and to make matters worse you know this we're on a bachelor party so imagine if i didn't find my ring I come home from a bachelor party without yeah. it. Like that would have been like <laughs> so bad. So bad. <laughs> Cameron, uh, what have you been watching? Um, I've actually had a chance to watch a handful of things. Um, so the, the first thing that I watched, I don't think we talked about this. Did we talk about Babylon? Mm-mm. Okay. So I watched Babylon with Juzo and I really liked it. And I don't know why this movie is getting like a lot of, um, shade and there's like weird I mean I guess I, I guess I kind of understand in some ways it's a very it's it's a pretty grotesque movie it's a, a lot of you know it reminds me a lot of something like Wolf of Wall Street where it's like over the top it's very bombastic um, the style is there and and there's sort of this this hum like this explosive energy to the movie uh, but in a lot of ways there's there's some disturbing elements. There's some just genuinely gross elements. Uh, and, and, you know, that's part of the package. So I understand why, like some people might not want to, to see that it's, it's a little extreme in that way. Um, but I, I don't know why it's, it's kind of been raised by the critics, um, which has been a little strange to me because this is, I feel like this is a total, um, like it should be a kind of a critical darling uh, in my mind. I, I don't know. I don't really understand why it's, it hasn't been getting a lot of publicity and obviously everyone knew that it wasn't going to, to do super well at the box office, um, <laughs> which it, it has not done super well at the box office. But to me, I really loved it. I thought it was a lot of fun, um, a really sentimental movie in a lot of ways, but also a very, uh, you know, a deeply cautionary tale, uh, and it kind of gives you an insight in some of the, um, you know, the 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 crazy mind of someone like Damien Chazelle. So I I thought that was a, a, just a really excellent movie. Um, I would I would recommend it to someone who likes Damien Chazelle probably, but I don't know if I would recommend it to everybody. It's kind of a 
um, a hard movie to sell in in a lot of ways. Um, but I also watched, uh, I don't know if you're up on this show, it's called The White Lotus. Um, do you know about this? It's an no, I, I've seen it, but I don't know very much about it. Oh, okay. It. Yeah, it's, it's an HBO show, and I have a hard time um, understanding my feelings about the show because on, on one hand, I do enjoy watching it sometimes. I think it's f- kind of funny. Um, it it has like a certain amount of charm to it, but all of the characters are so uh, dumb and distancing and some of the writing is very uh, loose and kind of um, I, not pointless, but but very like um, there's there's not really an A to B structure. It's more of just vignettes of things or not vignettes, but it's more of just a a, a through line of, of what's going on in this, um, you know, in this kind of unique place. Um, and in some ways that works, but other times I'm sort of sitting there thinking about other things and, and a little bit bored and, or distracted about it. Um, but on one hand, I, I, I genuinely, so I watched the first season, um, and then the first episode of the second season, and I think the second season probably is going to pull me in a little bit more. I, you know, I ended up enjoying that first episode. Um, but the first season I, left me kind of mixed. So I'm interested in continuing it uh, because I'm curious about my own feelings for it. Like, I don't, I, I'm not like in love with it, but I, I'm intrigued and interested in watching it more, uh, which is kind of an interesting way to feel feel about a, a show like that so um those are kind of the main things i also did watch it's a wonderful life over the christmas holiday which i love that movie i think it's maybe one of the greatest of all times um but yeah what have you been watching well the only movie i've actually finished was a movie that uh jules and i decided to watch together called don't worry darling mm-hmm. It's a film with Harry Styles and Florence Pugh. I think that's how you say it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of a sci-fi dystopia thing, but some of the writing was a little... It just... I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I I felt like it was a little bit um, unoriginal, and it felt... I I don't I don't know what the right word is for it, but it kind of felt like um, everyone was a little bored in the movie of what it was doing, even though it could have been executed a little bit differently. But I think what was interesting about it is um, the two leads did really well with the material they were given, and um, I think there's a heavy Suspiria influence in this movie actually, um, with its visuals to the point where it feels like a very cheap version of that um but there's a lot of like ballerina dancing psychedelic stuff in it um and for what it was it was probably just fine i do want to say chris pines acting in it is horrendous like it's like probably some of the worst i've ever seen him act that's so um so if you want to see that i think it's on uh prime yeah that's how i watched it I also watched um, Lord of War, I think, or Lords of War. Mm-hmm. I think I watched half of this movie. Um, Lord of War. Yeah, yeah. It's a Nicolas Cage movie. 
<laughs> Nicolas Cage and Jared Leto. Dude, this movie is like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> like nonstop narration. I'm not even kidding you. Every single scene starts with the thing about being an arms dealer. Like, er- like every scene is him talking about how he's an arms dealer. And I don't know who decided that that was a good idea to like just have somebody narrate over the, well, have Nicolas Cage narrate over the entire movie, but it kind of made it hilarious. And he just would not shut up about it. Also, one of the worst covers I've seen for a movie as well. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I think I watched half of another film. Oh, oh, and then I have one thing just to say to piss somebody off, which I don't know if this is actually critically acclaimed. Uh, and it's and it has to do with what you're saying about Babylon, but I started watching um, Licorice Pizza. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, I love Licorice Pizza. You're gonna piss me. Yeah, off. I couldn't. I couldn't even get like ten minutes into it. I can't stand it. You know, I just can't stand Isaac, Hollywood Isaac, Isaac. loving Hollywood. Isaac. Like it's just like I can't even. And I just I feel so like riveted by that. Um, where they're like, yeah, you know, this is like the, this is like the LA Valley area. And it's like, yes, I've been over there, you know? Um, but I just don't understand. Like, I, I really didn't give it a chance within 10 minutes. I was like, yeah, I just don't really want to watch this at all. So I just turned it off. Um, and like, there was nothing bad in it. I was just not interested. So, um, I'm sure I'll have to give that one another chance, but Man, I just don't like when Hollywood makes movies about Hollywood. I think that was initially my major complaint about watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is that it was like just obsessed with uh, obviously the subject matter, but like what can you expect? I just think I I felt I feel very separated from that. So, well, um, um well, but you ended up enjoying Once Upon a Time, right? I've only seen it once, and when I walked away from it, I really didn't like it. Uh, over our conversations, I've learned to like it, but I've never seen it oh, okay. again. So I actually have oh, no idea. Yeah. I do think I should. I do think I should revisit yeah. it. Um, in my mind, it stands taller, but I, I, I think I'll probably need one more. One you know, more interestingly, we've we've never done a Tarantino um, list, uh, and I know both of us have seen a lot of Tarantino movies. So that's probably why it would, wouldn't be like new for us, but we we could do a sort of a review. I'm not a big fan of a handful of not a handful, but a, a couple of Tarantino movies. And I think that would probably be semi hot takes. Um, but I don't know if you I don't know what your sort of Tarantino uh, uh, knowledge and or love is. Um, are you a big big Tarantino guy or no? Um, I think I used to say that I was, but I have to be honest, I've never seen Kill Bill. Love Kill Bill. I've never seen Reservoir Dogs. Love Reservoir Dogs. Uh, yeah, I think I've only seen Pulp Fiction, Hateful Eight, and Once Upon a Time, and then Django as well. I, I, I've seen Inglourious Bastards, but I don't remember anything from that. Yeah, movie. that's the one that I, I really nothing. dislike the most, um, but... I, that's a very, it's a very hot, unpopular take. I know <laughs> people might come for me, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not in love with that movie uh, for some reason. I find it to be, um, there's something about it that's that's either juvenile or 
I don't know. But maybe we should think about doing that because I, I would be interested in talking about some of those movies. And and a, a lot of them seeing how they age as well. Um, but did we talk about Tar? Did I tell you about Tar? No. Oh, okay. No. That was another movie that I watched um, that I loved. I really, really loved. It's one of my favorites of the year. But um, I won't bore you about it because it's it's not <laughs> – it doesn't seem very interesting. So, uh, you know, it's probably not. What is – wait, what's the premise of that film? Because I might have heard about it from Red Light. Um, Tar is about a – it follows Kate Blanchett, who's a, um, a conductor um, or, right, and a composer right. in some regards. I think – Actually, I think I do remember you mentioning yeah. that and saying that it's yeah. quite good. So, um, kind of interested in that because I love. Well, after Whiplash, it's like, yeah, sign me up for something that I think would be boring, you know. <laughs> um, and music, you know, you it's gotta true. Love yeah. It, so, but this, you know, <laughs> All right, Cameron, I think we could go on and on, but this is Cinema Spectator. You can support us at patreon.com slash ECFS productions. Get a couple exclusive benefits over there by supporting us financially. And you can give us a rating on iTunes. Share the show with friends and family. If you don't have a few dollars, we totally get it. We're a small production and we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, no matter how you can support, we thank you for your time. And thank you for sitting through 24 minutes without <laughs> us actually talking about the movie that we were going to get to. Um, Cameron and I, if you are just tuning in, have been going through... A bunch of Hitchcock movies. That's what the last few episodes were about. But we didn't want to leave him stranded. Uh, this is my fault that we watched The Birds. You know, Cameron, give us context and we we can get into it. So, yeah. Uh, let's do it. Um, well, The Birds is, is kind of in that classic uh, uh, Hitchcock canon. I would say it's a much more straight horror movie for him. Um, you know, it's not sort of a psychological thriller or, you know, something like... Uh, you know, um, you know, it's not closer to real window or rope. It's more closer to to psycho. If if you know if that makes sense. Um, but it is it follows a woman who's kind of this socialite. He who kind of has a bad reputation in a lot of ways. Um, who you know has an infatuation for a man. Uh, who comes into a bird store that she's in. And uh, she ends up kind of stalking him a little bit uh, and going to where he lives, which is Bodega Bay, which is interesting. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that. Um, and uh, while, while they're in Bodega Bay, while they're, uh, while they're sort of, you know, having a normal uh, interaction, you know, they, they go to dinner and whatnot. Um, something very strange starts to happen with all of the birds in this uh, in this town, and it starts very very softly. It starts, um, you know, quite small, almost unnoticeable to the uh, to the plot of the movie, and then eventually it goes up to you know being the main sort of center centerpiece of the of the movie being um, you know them essentially just fending off these. Uh, these bird attacks. And one thing that I find interesting about this movie is um, it has a reputation for being very scary, especially among, I think, our parents' generation, Isaac. <laughs> um, my mom always said that she was terrified of this movie. Uh, I'm sure your parents have, a have you know, maybe stories about watching this and being scared of it or, you know, seeing it on TV or something. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I just find I find that to be a little bit funny in some ways, though. I I do think some sequences are are still, um, if not scary, genuinely thrilling in in a certain sense. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. What did you? To me, I'll just be upfront with you. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of this movie just in general, in terms of how effective the bird sequences are. Um, I do find that obviously there's, you have to suspend some disbelief. They're puppets. They're obviously puppets. They're obviously on sort of rear projection or, you know, being, you know, they're, they're fake birds, basically. You can tell they're fake birds in in a lot of scenes, but, uh, the sound and the kind of environment in, in some of these sequences, like I think very specifically the one where all of the birds come out of the chimney. Um, I loved that sequence. I thought it was really well done. And, and it kind of has this evocation of, um, you know, it, it is very scary when like lots of small things are like flying around the screen. <laughs> You know, there is something very unusually scary about that. I, I'm always reminded of, you know, Batman Begins, uh, where where all the all the bat he falls in the well, and then all the bats come out, and you know, they're, uh, you know, mm. and that that's a yeah. that's a tense sequence, and it has that sort of same visceral, um, like you can imagine yourself in that in that position. Um, so, but while I don't find the entire premise to be very scary. In general, I do find some of those sequences to be, uh, you know, interesting and and quite evocative. Um, but I think, I think for the most part, what doesn't work for me about this movie is I don't feel like anything's kind of tied through or pulled together around you know uh, the theme of the birds. Like I don't know, it nothing ever feels like it pays off in the end for me. Um, so I, I'm wondering, uh, what you thought about this, uh, this movie, I, um, you know, how, how interested were you in it? Uh, how scared were you by it? Yeah, I think this movie is garbage, <laughs> honestly. And I know that's a pretty brutal assessment, but it's me saying you don't need to watch it. You can just listen to this episode and get probably more entertainment value out of wasting your time sitting through it. Unless you are a cinephile and you need to see the history and the background, I actually have something kind of in, kind of interesting to discuss with you on this film. Um, and I know there's probably not much more to say beside it, but yeah, I mean, the visuals are dated. The writing is kind of like it's it's good, but it's not you don't really care about too many of the characters. Uh, you sort of feel an arm's length from any of the suspense. And because it's so dated, there's not too much tension. And I found myself fairly bored during the movie. Um, I think I wanted to watch this movie because of its cultural stigma. I have a very fond memory of my um, older ants talking about this film and saying how they were terrified yeah. of like birds and, and and how the movie like for my parents I don't think they really 
it didn't really hit them the same. My dad was like, yeah, that movie sucks. <laughs> Yeah, well, my I talked to my dad the other day. He was like, "That movie sucks." Have you seen Rear Window? And I was like, "Yes, we just reviewed it." <laughs> yeah, you know? he's like, "Oh, that's a good movie." Sure. And I was like, "Yeah, no, no, that one is good." Um, and he was encouraging me. He's like, "You need to watch like Twilight Zone stuff. Like mm. that's where it's at." You know, um, but yeah, I just I think the most interesting thing about the birds, and this is kind of my the launch point of this conversation that I want to do is that it's attached to a style and feeling that doesn't come to full popularity uh, till, you know, the 2000s, 2010. Um, I think this is an early touch of, like, the zombie apocalypse. It's just there are no zombies in this movie. And I think that's what makes it surprisingly modern or even cliche to our audience, our audience, because we are so inundated with zombies. I just looked. 1958 is Night of the Living Dead, um, which is sort of the spark point of, I guess you could say, zombie apocalypse movies. But so much about this movie um, puts forward the survival instinct in the face of a like pandemic esque attack. Right. So there's like the boarding of windows and um, explosions at a gas station. I mean, I just played the last of us, the beginning of the last of us um, like a week ago. And that game has a a gas station exploding. And all I could think about was that kind of happened to the birds. (laughs) Like, I don't know when something else, like, that's, like, the beginning of it. The boards on the windows and the and the wild, like, spin into apocalypse, right? Um, even, even, like, small suspenseful moments of, um, probably the best sequence in the movie for me is, is um, when the, when the woman protagonist is sitting outside the school and all the birds start to get on the playground. That's like one of the most iconic scenes, but that's very like reminiscent of what a lot of zombie movies do, uh, where there's like people walking behind them and the characters like eating like lunch or something, or, you know, like, you know, as the audience, you're like, Oh my gosh, like turn around. Right. And they overuse that in walking dead, like every episode. Right. Um, but I think so much of this movie's credit, should go into laying a foundation for what we see and take for granted in modern apocalypse survivor movies. Um, it's a genre that's very big. Totally. Uh, and, and I think that this is, <laughs> I think this is um, kind of a sparking point for that. Cameron. Yeah, no, think? I, I 100% agree with you. And I, I thought the same thing. I was like, this really is a proto zombie movie in a lot of ways. And I think, I think it does lean a bit on night of the living dead thematically and in sort of style. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, um, I have not, but it, I have it is very interesting because it's, it's ultra low budget. And I think that's one of the reasons why 
the boarding up of the house was so effective and unique was like, that's our home. Like we're bunkering basically. There's no other way to get out of this. They're going to come and they're going to swarm the house and we're going to have to fend off, you know, all these, you know, they, I don't know that they even called them zombies, but, uh, ghouls or whatever they were, you know, they are zombies, but, um, essentially, you know, this, this sense of staying in place, and protecting, you know, the people around you, fortifying and, uh, you know, being being insulated from what's out there. And then also, like, the, the thing about the birds coming in waves um, is very interesting, too, because I think I think that has has 100% stayed in the zombie uh, lexicon where, you know, zombies will you'll get a big wave of zombies and then it'll be calm for a little bit and you can kind of rebuild and reset. And then, um, you know, the next, the next big thing comes and you, you know, maybe it's, it's more zombies or maybe it's something even, you know, different entirely. So I, I find that to be pretty interesting, an interesting comparison between those two movies. And I do agree that I think a lot of the language that is built in both of those movies is still used today and is still 100% relevant um, in the way that we think of modern zombies. Um, you know, the birds, the birds is an interesting example because they're not zombies. The, you know, it really is just the survival element that lends itself to, you know, being, being relevant in sort of a, a newer way. But Night of the Living Dead, I mean, I think... I think so many like zombie movies are basically or zombie concepts are pretty much like entirely ripped off from from that movie. Uh and uh, you know that that movie especially has been relevant for for almost 70 years at this point, 60 years. So that is an interesting comparison. I was thinking about that too and and I I definitely agree that these two movies lay a lot of foundation for what we see now as sort of the apocalyptic, you know, and it, it's not just like, you know, cause there's the post-apocalyptic movies that have its own conventions, but this is the like during the apocalypse kind of movies, you know, this right, is like right. things go from normal to bad in the, in the course of this, you know, uh, this feature. It's basically, going from a normal movie, kind of a romance. They have funny dialogue and there's, you know, there's these kind of cheeky elements to it. And I think Hitchcock is really good at teasing out good performances and good, um, you know, a lot of interesting writing between characters, how they interact with each other and kind of innuendo and, and the things left unsaid. I think he's really good at at those interactions. So I, I do actually enjoy the, the beginning half of the movie where there are no bird attacks and stuff. You know, that's kind of the most I was engaged with the movie, frankly. Um, because once the birds start attacking and once that all, you know, all that stuff starts to happen, it is kind of now it's a trope of, you know, apocalyptic, uh, fiction. It, it kind of, embodies the same elements that that you see and you know in a lot of ways there's there's something kind of awkward about about the you know 
the the models and the effects and you know that kind of thing and so it, it just doesn't doesn't hold up quite as well as the beginning half where um you know for, they'll be having kind of a normal conversation and then the bird you know flies out of the air and attacks her and you know that is something kind of interesting and and keeps you on your toes a little bit and then the relationship between her and the mother i thought you know i liked a lot um when the when the mother goes to the house where you know that the guy's eyes are pecked out and stuff like all of that stuff i think is really interesting the lead up to the final sort of big chaotic moments um just not the big chaotic moments themselves um i also like the scene in the diner uh though i'm not sure how you feel about it i think that scene in the diner is really good and uh, just another example of Hitchcock being playing off of those those human interactions very very well to make us a sequence that could be kind of normal or expository be a moment for tension and drama instead of just you know exposition. So yeah, I think thematically it's sort of a visual or cinematic representation of some kind of like like revelation event. And it's interesting to see um, some of the religious aspects put into the film. uh, And that's explored a little bit in the diner. I also think there's something about the way the sky has this red hue towards the end when you're looking at like the dark cloudy, like sort of like ominous sky. It's like, okay, like, it seems like something supernatural is controlling these birds mm. or something to it. And I've also been, uh, and I meant to talk about this, but it's kind of irrelevant, but I've been playing a ton of the new God of war. And, um, there's something in like old, uh, fantasy stuff with the use of like black crows. If you've watched, um, like game of Thrones and the characters on the bridge called the crows and, uh, in the new God of War, it's like Odin's ravens. Like he has like all of these crows that are like watching you throughout the game, right? Um, so there's to me there's like some like higher power element uh, to this movie that's kind of being commented on where it starts with like everyday life and how well would like everyday life respond to when like you know things go down, right? Um, I think that's a very modern yeah. question. I think some movies in the future, like they, they address this much more directly. Um, and I think there's more complexity that can be pulled out of something like that. Um, but again, like that's just the spark of, um, humans enduring the apocalypse on screen. Yeah. Right. And uh, that's always looped in with zombie movies. It's like, you know, the scene at the church, right? Uh, in the zombie. Like, that's sure. almost a trope at this point, right? Um, yeah, it's just... I think it's interesting to see it attempted so early on, almost even starting it off, and then to see how it's changed over so many years uh, and really came to popularity if I'm being honest, I feel like it came to popularity like 50, 60 years later, like when Cameron and I were in high school and middle school, like 
the apocalypse stuff was rampant <laughs> on the world. You know? I think in a post nine eleven <laughs> world, it was uh, it was pretty. You know, there was a lot of apocalyptic fiction that that you know made its way back in. But, you know, I think there's there's probably a good reason for that. But you know, that was definitely in the in the zeitgeist when we were younger in in middle school and high school especially you know it, i mean obviously it takes takes a handful of years for for things to sort of catch into the to the lexicon but um you know post uh probably post 2005 that's when you started to see a huge ramp up of of zombie themed things i would say yeah no definitely i know um we, we're going to continue our conversation, Cameron, but one of the things we've been doing on this show is reading some of the Google yes, reviews. I love which it. It's like, I don't know who goes out of their way. I got to be honest, I've read through a few of these and it's very polarized. It's like either garbage or we love it. And I haven't found anything outside of what this guy, William, <laughs> wrote here with five stars. And it's not well written, so forgive me. But it says, no brainer for a good thriller and a covid stay at home time um hitchcock is the master of every detail the acting the dialogue are uh fan are fascinating and it makes one appreciate being only in a pandemic and not a pandemic a pandemic of psycho attack birds okay um but he just kind of continues to go on and on about how like how there's so many ties to like what happened during the pandemic and all that with this film and uh, how he found it to be more relatable. And so I think there's definitely an aspect um, that someone could love there, right? Or relating with this film. Um, yeah, because there's like the post-9-11 world and then there's going to be like the post-pandemic <laughs> world as well where um, <laughs> it w- it's funny because post-9-11 is like somebody ate bath salts. I think zombies are actually going to come Yeah, around, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> And then, and then pandemic is like, yeah, this sounds about right. You know, that's kind of like the public perception of what was going on, you know? Um, but a lot of these, a lot of these reviews are either like super boring, bad effects. Other ones are like excellent movies. It's your normal movie with like the camp, but you got to love it. And it's ahead of its time. Right. Um, so I feel like you either have a little bit of nostalgia or this movie hits you in the right way or it's just not going to connect. Um, but yeah, I just, I besides like the, the aspects that we brought up in this, it feels very difficult to recommend this, especially in comparison to some of the other Hitchcock movies we've yeah. watched. I um, agree. And, and to be honest, and, I kind of figured that in some ways. I think this is, you know, Hitchcock has a long list of, of excellent movies. Um, but you know, among them are sort of much more popcorn movies than, um, you know, than some of the other ones. Rear window is very, you know, very interesting and kind of, um, out there with, with some of its themes and, and has a lot to say about, you know, voyeurism and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, some of his movies are much more entertainment focused, and I think this is totally one of them. You know, he's like we have said before. You know, he's he's here to thrill in this movie, and he doesn't for us because um, 
it just it just doesn't doesn't connect probably as much as it it did in 1963 but you know i mean you can't fault him necessarily for that i i think this still was i'm sure it was still a good looking movie back then i think i think there's a lot of of you know you can't really you can't have too many criticisms to be honest you know what i mean like there's there's it's tough because like we obviously don't feel it um but it's not really his fault uh, that it looks bad yeah yeah if anything coming away from these films i feel more like i understand hitchcock and i respect him um because just seeing psycho didn't make me like him uh but having a little bit more context and we haven't even seen like some of the twilight zone stuff or dial M for murder, but, um, or I haven't seen the other one. What's the other one? North by Northwest. Um, Yeah. North by Northwest. Right. So he's still got a lot of great films in his catalog that I haven't seen, but I've seen enough good ones that I'm like, yeah, like legendary. Yeah. I get it now. Right. I understand it. Um, this movie didn't do that for me, but it didn't, it also like, to the devil's argument or the devil's advocate side of what I was bringing up, kind of more of the more admirable uh, bits of this movie. Um, this film didn't make me despise him more. Sure. It was just more like, okay, I get it. This one's old. Yeah. It doesn't connect with me. Let's see what I can pull out. That's like kind of interesting and cool. And we'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to recommend it. Right. That's sort of my emotion walking away from it. Um, I do have another question, but I feel like we, <laughs> the birds, there's not too much more to talk well, about. Well, I want to talk about Tippy um, Hendren and some of the, uh, the strange goings on that happened, uh, with this movie, uh, with the production of this movie and sort of some of the things, weird things that happened with her afterwards. But, um, well, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I don't have much more to say. Cameron, give whatever you want to give about this film. And then I have one question to expand it to the rest of cinema in a broader conversation around Apocalypse. Yeah, so so, uh, Tippi Hedren was not really an actress before this movie and not really an actress after this movie. Um, This was kind of one of her her only roles. She has a, a handful of smaller credits, later on, but definitely as a leading lady, I think this might be her only credit. Um, and, uh, one of the reasons I think is, um, she was pretty much terrorized by Hitchcock during the making of this movie. And I think, um, you know, it's funny to note that we, obviously a lot of the, the birds look bad and some of the, the puppeteered birds uh, don't look very good, but, um, there are actually a lot of real birds, um, in this movie. And, uh, I think sometimes you can actually tell that they are like, they, they are like freaked out by the actual birds that are on, <laughs> that are being thrown at them. Um, and there's a, there's a handful of scenes where you're like, Oh my goodness. Like they are actually, uh, being assaulted by these birds. And so Tippy Hedren was, I think was, um, did not did not appreciate that and she was after this she ends up i don't know maybe before as well but um she she kind of was a lifelong uh animal activist 
and I'll talk about that a little bit more later. But um, another thing that I think probably didn't go so well was um, I think Hitchcock's behavior towards her was was pretty bad. I know there's like this this kind of trope in horror movies, like with Stanley Kubrick and uh, um, and uh, Shelley Duvall, where you know he kind of probably abused her a little bit on set um, and made her uh, ter- you know terrorized her throughout the filming. And I think some of that happened with Tippi Hedren as well. So that's obviously not um, not ideal, but um, there there was just lots of lots of weird things that made her not really want to act anymore. Um, but what, what did end up happening? And I just think this is the most hilarious thing ever. Well, first of all, her signature, I think is interesting. If you look on Wikipedia, because she incorporates birds in her signature, uh, which I think is very, Hmm. um, very strange, but kind of cool. Um, but she was a, um, like I said, she was an animal rights person, and later in life, she ended up uh, owning a lion preserve. It was called Shambhala. And they made oh. a movie. Do you know about this? <laughs> I don't know about it, but I'm like, I watched The Lion King a long time ago. Well, yeah. there there was a movie <laughs> called Roar that she made with her husband, um, uh, Noel Marshall. And... Um, they basically use they they have this lion preserve and they make a fictional movie that takes place you know centered kind of around this this lion preserve and it is the most horrifying thing ever because they use like hundreds of these lions and they're like they're they're jumping all over the place and it's hilarious um, if you want to to see anything about this movie, I would highly, highly, highly recommend the Red Letter Media review where they where they go over this movie. It is so funny. Awesome. Um, so, awesome. I'm sorry. I meant to say the Tiger King. Oh yeah, you yeah, know yeah. That yeah documentary yeah. the Tiger King. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shambhala. That's an yeah. awesome name. I always think of uh, Uncharted Two. Oh yeah, Shambhala. Um, yeah, so I I would I would seek out that episode. I think it's the best of the worst. Um, they watch Roar, and uh, it is it is hilarious. There's like it's like it's like the birds, but with lions. Actually, um, yeah, it's oh geez, and yeah, no practical it's legit effects. real. And I think like I think there were like 150 injuries on the set, like making the movie because of the lions were just oh, were just man. mauling people. Um, so yeah, so that, that's, that's basically what I know about Tippi Hedren. I just find her to be kind of a fascinating figure as, you know, this one leading lady and a very good one too. I think she actually is, is quite good in this role. Um, then she, she kind of never does anything again and, and makes roar, which is like just an insane story. That is hilarious to me. Also, she she should have been in uh um what's it called nope you know i will say that's my favorite mm. movie about hollywood mm. hollywood movie about hollywood nope is yeah. probably the best no one that's there. a it's a good one yeah. um but she i will say another kind of weird thing about her um she's the grandmother of dakota johnson um of 
the new Suspiria. Um, and she, I think maybe her biggest role was uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. She plays the, the lead character. So that's kind of interesting. Yes. But yeah, so I don't know. I find I find her to be a kind of a fascinating character, basically just doing the birds and then owning a lion preserve. It's hilarious. <laughs> that is a, actually pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought her performance was fine. It wasn't anything like crazy, but um, it was funny when Juliana saw her on screen, she was like, all these old women look exactly the same. <laughs> and I was, and I was looking at her and I was like, I was like, I think, was she in a movie earlier? But you just confirmed that, you know, <laughs> I thought she was in a different. Uh, no, Hitchcock no, I don't. Film. Uh, she, she might've been in one later one, but I think pretty much, um, that was it. So Cameron, anything else about the birds before I ask you? No, I think, portion? you know, that's it. I'm going to say pass on it. Um, unless you just have to. Cameron? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the problem <laughs> right. is it's two hours. Well, there's I, that. It's hard to recommend it. Because yeah, it's, it's so long. It's not great. And, uh, yeah. So. I will say the school sequence. And you can watch good. it on YouTube. Uh, that. It is. I it like is that. I like seeing. that sequence probably... where where they where they blow up the cars and all the city goes into chaos. I just think it's hilarious. It's not like <laughs> scary, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the the diner scene is cool. Honestly, most diner scenes. Yeah. Top tier. I'm just gonna say that if you have a diner scene <laughs> in your movie, I'm usually like more. I I'm more sympathetic to it. So, Cameron, this is what I'm gonna say. I like post-apocalyptic stories. That's mm. easy for me. But genuinely, like, apocalyptic movies, I have not seen one that I'm, like, in love with. I call them disaster sure. movies. Um, but I, I would consider some kind of pandemic or disease or bird attack in that category. Do you have a film in that realm, not a couple years after in the survivor sense, but like during the outbreak, do you have a movie? Yeah, it's a no brainer. It's Shaun of the Dead. Oh yeah, that's a great one. (laughs) (laughs) It is a great one. Yeah. We were talking about that a few weeks ago because I was sitting here thinking about it. I was like, I don't know what film would be like the choice, you know? And to me, Train of Busan is probably the most like, intense and I, I guess I was thinking more serious because Shauna then yeah. is quite funny um, and ahead of its time. Definitely. We both agree on that. I just, uh, I don't know if there's a disaster movie that I'm like in love with, but I haven't seen. Um, yeah. I just, I can't think of, I can't think of one. And I remember them being everywhere, especially before like, and after the 2012 phase where it's like the world against like, you know, natural disaster or global yeah. warming and stuff. And I've just, I've always been like, well, what, who's the villain? <laughs> you know, who is the nature. villain? Fight the wave the or something nature. like nature is the villain. So what is there a movie that's like nature as the villain and it's um, like effective? 
Like, I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, I'm I'm not in love with the, like, uh, the pandemic movies either. Or, like, you know, when the world collapsing, that kind of thing. I don't know if it's always the most interesting. I will say Night of the Living Dead is, is a really good movie and I think um, is worth watching. And that is definitely... Um, that is, that is like an apocalypse movie. Like things are, are degrading and it's in the middle of that. And it, it has a lot of commentary about sort of, um, you know, there's, there's a, a racial component to the movie that I think is really interesting. And there's, there's a lot of sort of more subtle themes than just like, ah, the, the, uh, you know, man is the most dangerous, you know what it's like, you know, whatever, but there are, there are things that I think that movie does really well. So I would recommend watching that one. Um, but I don't know to me, I can't think of one that is like in the, in the disaster. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's like the best. I, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of one. Um, there are like crisis movies, I think that, that are pretty good, but I can't think of one that are, well, that, that's like as the world is collapsing, um, that kind of thing. There are lots of post-apocalypse. I just, ones. I feel, yeah, it's a tough, Genre. I'd love to hear recommendations because the one, the two that we listed, I'm like, I both love those films, but they're usually because of different reasons besides the event itself, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I think it's an interesting genre that I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's got to be one movie in there that I'm like, yes. Well, I mean, technically, it. do you think but, um, Interstellar counts? <laughs> It's semi-apocalyptic. I, I don't say. really think it. As in, like yeah. things. Oh, I Children of Men. It, I th- maybe. Yeah, Children of Men is actually very good, but it feels still yeah, post, it post. Yeah, a little bit. Um. Yeah, it's funny you're talking about um, Night of the Living Dead because my introduction to George Romero was that Black Ops zombie <laughs> map. And I was like, what is this? There's like just this big director with a pole yeah. hitting me in a Call of Duty game. And then I find out, oh yeah, he basically the created zo- yeah. zombies. Like it even, that doesn't even that didn't even make <laughs> sense. Like I feel like most most Call of Duty bros, they have no idea who Drew No, I d- is, yeah, I doubt know? it. Um so he's kind of a he's kind of a legend at this point. I feel like most people know him <laughs> almost because of that game in some ways. Uh, too yeah but well he's got some cross media he, he strength he definitely has newer zombie movies as well things that probably would have would hold up better i i don't know i haven't seen any of the the only one i've seen is night of the living dead so um you know i don't know what the other ones are like but i know he he definitely um is essentially the creator of of zombies you know as we know them today so that's pretty pretty interesting that he um he spawned not only 
you know, pretty much an entire genre of movies, but also this like iconic cultural sense. Like, do you remember when they were selling like, this is your zombie survival kit, you know, and things like that, where it's like, oh yeah, that wouldn't be around if, uh, if, if he didn't, if he didn't create this, you know, very iconic type of, of monster basically. So. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I'm out of words for this subject, Cameron. That is how I feel about the birds. And we didn't watch a zombie movie, so I don't want to rant on and on about it. But is there anything else you want to rant on, Cameron, or would you like to wrap it up? Um, I don't know. I feel like I feel like we've done a, a good job at not really engaging with this movie at all because we didn't care about it. Um, so I think, <laughs> I think that was, I think that was successful. Um, what are we going to do next week, Cameron? Do you think we, uh, talk about Oscar stuff? Or are we going to save that? Are we going to dive into a new director? Um, what do you think? A review of 2022 looking over all the movies. We, we watched. could, yeah, do we that. could do that. Um, yeah, how many how many movies have you seen from 2022? I was trying to think about that um just for myself. Oh, I was talking about like a retrospective Oh, oh, the, oh the ones that we that uh, we watched in 2022. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. We watched we a could, lot we could of do something movies. like that. Should we do our best yeah, and I know. worst five? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we can definitely definitely That we, sounds we fun. Maybe maybe let's pick one to rewatch too. Hmm. How's that sound? Okay. Yeah, it sounds good. Sounds like a good plan. I can watch one that's actually good. Or one that, well, I don't know. Because I kind of want you to watch one that you didn't like so much the first time. Maybe. Mm, I have a good idea, Cameron. I have a good idea. Maybe we'll do a little bit of like a a debate Mm. thing or something. We'll we'll okay. we'll talk about it. Yeah, I think next week's episode is going to be unique. I'll just <laughs> promise that. Especially after being so uninspired by the. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. So, dude, I gotta. I I don't know if I should just say yeah, that's the show, or I want to go on and on about this new God of War game I'm playing because. <laughs> Cameron, you gotta buy this. I'm game. telling you, I've played. I'm. Right I've been playing Factorio. Okay, I'm just an addict. I'm telling you, like, it's been a long time since I've played a game, and it's not perfect. But I'm just like, this is just like in another league. Like, it's like a different. It's just so much better than me, so many. It's other interesting games because last time we um, saw each other we talked about you being frustrated with some of the things in the game. Oh, the beginning, there, there's specifically one part about a third of the way in that is so bad <laughs> and so boring. Um, I think the worst thing about the game is that if you're talking about editing, it's sure. way bloated. If it was just edited down, but there's like a ton of great stuff in there. And... Um, if you're a fan of Norse mythology or anything like that, you gotta play this game. Like you just, I don't even care about it, and now I'm invested in it. You know, um, and I there's so much just to get back to movies. 
there's so much about this game that like takes the one shot formula and mm. gets creative with it. It takes what makes video games special and fun and, you know, turns that up as well with the storytelling. There is also some incredible acting performances in this game. Genuinely, like, some of the most emotion I've seen put into a motion capture uh, experience. Now, if you if you don't like fantasy, you're not going to love this. But there's a... The actor for Odin is awesome. And let me see if I can, if I can look him up. Odin, actor, God of War. Um... It's this, uh, uh, shoot, God of War, Ragnarok cast. Let me look at this. Crazy that you look up game casts, right? Um, let's see. He's like, uh, oh my gosh, let me just see it. Richard Schiff. Um, apparently he has been in, he's in a show called West Wing. Oh, yeah. That's popular. Um, he's also in seven. Oh, what is he in seven? I don't know. That. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and he's in Man of Steel. Um, but dude, yeah. Yeah. If you have any interest, if you're in PlayStation and you like games, you know, honestly, you don't even have to play this game on easy. You can still have fun with it. Like, I'm not even playing it on hard difficulty. It's just, it's, uh, it's mm. next level, I would say. Um, and definitely bridging the gap with the medium between uh, these different media types. So, um, okay. Well, that's all I have on today's episode a story about paintball i didn't like the birds i'm playing too much god of war uh, <laughs> and so next week we'll come with some some much more fiery content Can i love your i love your paintball story i thought it was great oh yeah no it's, i love it's that they one, threw a smoke grenade that's I hilarious <laughs> i cannot believe the smoke I'm still mad about it. That's just I'm so... still mad about it. You know what's crazy is they weren't <laughs> even that good either. You know? Like they didn't even sure. deserve it. And then I walked off um the field because I was my mask was fogging. And I was getting really mad at that because you can't see, you can't aim, and my mask has fog like it's all like, you know. So I walk off and the ref's standing there and he's like, dude, that was pretty cool. They threw a smoke, right? And I just looked at him, I was like, no. <laughs> And I just walked away. <laughs> he didn't say anything to me for the rest of the day. Like the ref was mad at me for not being into it. I was like, bro, I don't like cheaters. You know? Well, apparently it's, it's not against cheating. the rules. There, there ain't nothing in the rule book. <laughs> no, they threw it. And then the ref was like, no smoke oh, grenades. It's like, you guys were just saving that <laughs> for someone to show up and use it. It's like, I was going to say touch grass. Yeah, but technically. They yeah. already touched. Well, muddy, it's just hilarious grass, because so. I, I find, I, like, we've both had those uh, those Call of Duty matches where it's, uh, you know, the, the sweatiest of sweatiest people on the other team where you're like, how how is this possible? You know, you're like, what what is going on? Why are we getting trounced so hard? 
Um, and, uh, and I just imagine you, 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 you spawn into this, this paintball lobby and, and the same thing happens. <laughs> it's just, it's just deja vu all over again. Just like half, half of the wedding party just hiding in spawn. They're just like, this is, I don't know about this. And to make matters worse, actually, I forgot to add this. We went shopping at like Savers before. So everyone there was wearing the stupidest thing you can imagine. <laughs> Caleb was wearing a cheetah leopard Sick. coat with a polo that Sick. said Gilp Hunter on it. And it was like a it was like a pink it was a pink polo. <laughs> and uh, all these guys are wearing full camo. And they're just mad, dude. They're they're mad too. You know, they're mad. They're like, "Who are oh, these guys?" Man. Like, you know. And we're, it's like no one had a good time. You know. So <laughs> there's this guy named Kenny that was with us, and he got these pants. Like he, they were so tight. I don't think I've ever like seen <laughs> somebody wear pants so tight. <laughs> and, and and this guy, he's like super shredded, but like. It just looked like they were on the verge of about to like breaking. They were like these pinstripe like dress pants. And uh, yeah, it was a sight to see for sure. Um, so, you know, if you didn't enjoy our <laughs> view of the crows, that you have that to think about uh, in your dreams or that's whatever. Hilarious. So. Well, we, we post every Tuesday for you guys. We know we've taken a little break with the holidays, but we're going to get back on the schedule. Uh, if you want to get any updates or info, of course, you can check out that Patreon again. Uh, and we try to post on Instagram if something's up with the show as well. So if you're confused what's going on, um, I try to do updates on there, at least on the story. So we will see you guys next Tuesday for a very special episode. Until then, we'll see you later. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.